I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 18 to the end of the chapter, verse 26. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, listen as I read from God's word. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is mist and vapor. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we ask that this evening you might grant to us some insight into your, at times, mysterious word. Help us to see and hear and know what Solomon is saying, that we might utilize the gift that you have given us, your word, to walk in faithfulness with you all our days. And so make us a wise and righteous people, we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes is a difficult book if you've grown up on Disney movies. I think that's what I've come to the conclusion of. And I mean the new Disney movies, the happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. It has to end on a positive note kind of Disney movies. And not just Disney movies that are happy all the time, but they're happy all the time because they are having to actively work against the despair of their own self-righteous secular worldview. All right, sorry if I ruined them all for you. Maybe you think, what a downer. I'm not nearly as down as Solomon is, though, right? I mean, Solomon, we come to another passage, we're thinking, ugh, gosh, hatred? What's he talking about? I thought my mom told me never to use that word. Hate. I think we need to see that word in its proper context. In fact, we see this word throughout the scripture, and it does not always mean to have some sort of visceral, distasteful response. I think we ought to look at this word in some fashion with disappointment. And why wouldn't he be disappointed? You work hard, and then you leave it to your children, and then they waste it all. That's the point. Maybe it's not your children. Maybe it's their children. But at some point, you have to leave it And Solomon is looking at all of this stuff, whether it is pleasure or wealth or joy or toil. Surely toil is a worthwhile investment, right? Work. But even work in life under the sun, it fades. Not only the effect of it, but the fruit of it. 
is spoiled. How are we to think then of work, of toil? How are we to find joy in it? Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 may be one of my favorite sections of scripture. Because it authorizes campfires and hospitality and good food and spending time with dear friends. And all of the delight that comes when we've put the shovel down and we rest and we delight in the good gifts of God. I'm going to talk about those things tonight into these two headings. Number one, finding toil to be missed. That may be a little bit different than what's in your bulletin. Finding toil to be missed or vapor. And then second, taking pleasure in your toil. Now, we need to ask ourselves first, is Solomon's comment in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the one who comes after me, an impious or pious remark. Now, impious means not very holy, not very Christ-like. Pious means holy or Christ-like. Is it an impious remark? We need to ask that question because we need to ask, uh, do we need to talk like Solomon or not? I'm arguing that we need to think like Solomon. We need to see that to be a workaholic or a weekend warrior miss the point altogether, both of them. They're both erring, but on opposite sides of the spectrum. We need to split the difference, as it were. And Solomon is going to teach us how to do that. It would be the height of impiety to think that through work and the fruit of that work, one might find ultimate satisfaction and purpose. You will grow incredibly frustrated if you think that it is through work you will find salvation. Or as the rich young or the rich ruler who was building all of these barns said, soul, I'm going to build bigger barns and in those barns I will be secure. What happened to those barns when he died? Well, the Egyptians, you know what the Egyptians used to do? They used to bury not just the possessions of the pharaohs, but their spouses. What? Can you imagine the news and hearing that your husband has died as the pharaoh? You know what I would do? I'd run for the hills. Because either way, you're going down into that pyramid with him. If they catch you, you're going. Why did they do this? So that he would not be lonely. <laughs> right? We do not have funerals for the dead. We have funerals for the living, which is why all funerals must have at their heart a call to remember the impermanence of life. They should be sorrowful, but mixed with a call to take hold of the time that Christ has given us and to make the most of it. But if we are looking to work or toil as an ultimate end or even an ultimate means to an end, then we're doing it wrong. What we need to do is we need to reject any false hope that it is through our labors, like cleaning, building, cooking, making something. Have you ever done a job and said, I did it! I'm done! I'll never have to do it again! Have you ever done that load, that last load of laundry? The last load. What an illusion. The last load. <laughs> when you're dead. What last load? Because as soon as you finish, we do towels last because towels take the longest 
By the time the towels are done, the front load you did first is all ready to go again. Because they've already... Parents, have you experienced this? Your kids put something on, they take it off, and they do this. I don't have anything to wear, Mom. Well, where, what happened to it? Well, it's dirty. Well, is it dirty, or did you just try it on and throw it down? Well, <laughs> I tried it on and I threw it down. I'm actually needing to take off my jacket. I figured it would be a helpful illustration. Kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> But you have to do it again. Soon as you mop that floor, your children walk through and you can look down and you see the little imprints of the dirt and dust that was on the bottom of their feet as they mix it with the water that's on the floor and it creates an even bigger mess. Solomon is saying, I hate it. I'm disappointed in it. Because this is what Solomon is doing. He is testing the things of life that we can engage in. And he's saying, ever before we learn on our own, don't go that way. That way will only lead to disappointment. Reject then the false hope. In fact, the frustration comes when we don't rejoice in the reputation and we think that in this life, through work, we can leverage creation in such a way that we can be done and we can have full and final and ultimate satisfaction. You must reject that false hope. Don't be deceived by it. Let me give another example. You go to a beautiful a museum with some beautiful exhibits. I remember years ago we went to the High Museum of Art in Atlanta and they had this, this, this exhibit called The Five Rings. <clears throat> And in one of these exhibits, there was a, a, pin, a painting, and it was a picture of a sculptor. I mean, this is art, okay? So just sort of, you know, don't be OPC for a little bit. And you have this, it's a painting of a sculptor who has sculpted this beautiful statue of a woman. And while sculpting this statue, he fell in love with her. And there is Cupid in the background, and he's shooting this arrow into this sculpture. And while he is embracing this sculpture, this cold marble is turning to human flesh. And you may think, well, that's kind of silly. It's actually kind of sweet, I guess. I don't know what it says. It was beautiful. And then there were all of these exhibits. And I go and I enjoy them as works of art. But I do not go up to that work of art and say... What are you about? What, what do you mean? The work of art is not the arbiter of beauty, and neither is the artist. The art and the artist are reflecting something that is already declared beautiful by the creator. In fact, I've also been to the Modern Museum of Art in London, the Tate Modern Museum of Art. And there are really two categories of art. Art that reflects upon the things that God calls beautiful and art that tries to wrench into creation something that is not beautiful. And then if you get enough people to say, oh, that's beautiful, well, then the consensus is it should cost a lot of money. And you look at this thing and go, I mean, my dog could do that. I'll just put some paint on its paws and let it walk around on a canvas. My toddler has painted with her fingers and finger paint something far more beautiful than that. Have you seen a Jackson Pollock? It's nonsense. You know why it's nonsense? Because his brain and his heart were broken. 
We live in a world that is governed by divine rules. And God has given to us labor, pleasure, joy, wealth, all of these resources to enjoy as gifts, not to use so that we might escape from the reality of God, but so that we might live in God's world and delight in it. Work needs to have its proper place. We must reject the false hope that is through work that we will be saved. And we really come to this conclusion, you must hate your own life. You must deny yourself and in some fashion come to the point that Solomon did that we hate or that we understand the disappointment of it all. This is the conclusion that Job came to. This is the conclusion that David in Psalm 22 says, But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Do you see the two perspectives that are here at play? The psalmist says, in the eyes of the world, I'm nothing. And they say that because I am one who puts my hope and trust in God. I think what we want is two things out of the world, and this is where we run into trouble. We want the faithful gifts of God, but we also want the admiration of the world. We want the stuff of the world now, but we also want the promises of Christ. And those two things do not often mix well together. This was the conflict at the garden, in the tree, at the tree, in the garden. Adam and his wife, really Eve is the one who was deceived, she took the fruit and ever before she ate, she looked at it and in her heart she thought, this is good. She could not call that good until she called the promises of God evil. There was a change, a a transformation in her heart between what was righteous according to God and what was righteous according to Satan. She didn't hate herself enough. She did not deny herself those unrighteous pleasures. In the book of Isaiah, we read, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer is the Holy One. This is where you start from. Every child starts from what position? He's going to give me the best gift for Christmas, right? And as parents, what are you trying to teach them over time? Not who can bring me the best gift, but taking joy in giving. It is the reversal of the curse that is knit within the very fabric of our souls because of our first parent's sin. To pursue the end of pleasure and of wealth is to find a dead end. As the ultimate end. And this is where self-denial comes in. To deny yourself is the path of liberty and freedom. Children, how many times have your parents come to you and said, I want you to do this and this is what you've done? Why did you do that? Maybe it's subtle. 
But it's one of those schemes you have where it's subtle enough to where it doesn't seem like rebellion. They're just, you're just kind of saying to your parents, I'm not really a fan of what you've asked me to do. You know what I mean? Okay. What else are you going to do? What, what would you be doing with your time? Really? Video games? Television? I don't know. I don't know. But what you've been given by your parents is an opportunity to enter into the industry of the household. Now, you may say, I don't even know what that phrase means. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't want to work in any industry. Right? I want to be an artist. (laughs) Then I would say, then do it really beautifully. (laughs) Arrange the plates, color coordinate them as you wash them and put them away. Thank you very much. Let me see your artistic flair. What you've been given in work is an opportunity to delight in the work itself and to work as unto the Lord by taking pleasure in the toil itself. Not as a means of being saved by your work or saved from your work on the weekends, but to enter into that work as a gift whereby God will, over time, through your little plotting every day, build the work of the kingdom. It counts. It's good. It's wholesome. It works. But the only way you will do that is if you learn to hate yourself. Now, I don't mean hate yourself in the way that you may hear it the first time. When I say hate yourself, I mean you must come to the end of your own selfish pleasures and see yourself as a servant of God, a slave of God, a doulos, a diakonos. So what then does Solomon, as he says, what does, it accomplish, what does a man accomplish if all the work that you do, and this is why I do all of this work and I think about it, verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, and here's why. I did all of this work and then I got to leave it to my deadbeat children. Maybe he's not that cynical, right? But I got to leave it to somebody Can you imagine what the founding fathers would think? Oh, we left these people? (laughs) These imbeciles. They're more concerned with Instagram than the Constitution or anything else that matters. We left it to these people? So what do we do? Do you ever feel this way, parents? If I were to die today, I don't know what would happen to my kids. (laughs) I have no idea, but the thought is terrifying. This is the thought. It vexed his heart at night. Why? Because he could not use work as an ultimate leverage against the stuff of earth. He had to rest in the knowledge of God's sovereign control. Now, this is not Jesus take the wheel. Right? That's not what this is. This is an absolute offering up of all things unto Christ because he is alone, is able and willing and ready and capable to arrange the pieces in such a way that the kingdom grows even through our faithful labors. 
And so we have this sort of pessimistic expression in verses 18 through 23, but then it turns to something a bit more optimistic in verses 24 through 26. Let's look there. Second point, taking pleasure in all your toil. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now you're like, now that is a Bible verse. Now that I can get behind. Now, Solomon is not painting two diametrically opposed, mutually exclusive perspectives on life. There is the workaholic perspective, and then there is the weekend warrior perspective. No, it is taking delight in your work when you can take delight in it. And when you understand that work is good for something, you must understand what it is good for, and that it is okay to work and then to delight. It's good. But only when we understand it rightly. Solomon is not addressing the distinction between work as a means and work as an end, but work as an ultimate means and an ultimate end. And that while we live on this earth... There are two things that you ought to do as a Christian and do them well. To work hard and to celebrate hard. To rejoice. To have fun. You hear me, what I'm saying? Have fun. No, I don't want to have fun. (laughs) This is our problem. We get the carton of ice cream, we pull it out of the freezer... And we don't get the bowl. We get the whole carton. You know what I mean? It's one of those nights. And by the time you're done with the carton, what's happened? You actually hate it. You're so sick of it. This is how humans enjoy things. This is so good. (laughs) We eat to the point of throwing up. It's gluttony. It's a drunkardliness. We think, well, if it's good in four ounces, it comes in the big gulp, right? It's a 7-Eleven call to discipline. It's 64 ounces of high fructose corn syrup. And you could have the 12-ounce can, which is already bad enough, but you're not going for the 12-ounce. You're going for the thing that doesn't even fit in the cup holder because you have to hold it with two hands just to hold it to your mouth. And we think, "Ah, now I'm happy. And then you drink it to the dregs and you go, I don't ever want to touch anything like that ever again. This is what Solomon is talking about. The tendency for sinful people is to take all the good gifts of God and say, you know what, I've better, I got a better idea. Let's just crank it to 11. Let's just crank it up. Because we think that this one thing will be the means of perpetual delight. Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in that, he postulates this. Some entertainment is good. Leisure is good. But the all-night movie marathon, it's wearisome. It's no longer enjoyment. It's tedium. So how do we enjoy work? 
We enjoy it as unto the Lord, as he has given it. We use it for the purpose for which it has been made. We must work and we must rejoice. We must labor and we must delight as God has intended. And we must see that as a gift. So whether it is work, whether it is joy, whether it is delight, whether it is our own children, parents, we make an idol out of our children. Paul says, do not exasperate your children. Why are you exasperating your children? Because they just won't listen. And I'm going to make them listen. And your kids are going, I'm done listening. You lost me 20 minutes ago. I'm done. Because a little bit would have been good. (laughs) But a lot, you've lost it. And this is our tendency because this is our our sense. We are losing control. This is how every unbeliever feels. I've lost control. I have no control over my life, over this world, over my children, over whatever I'm building. It's all gone. And so what do they do? They either check out or they squeeze tighter. And neither results in the fruit that brings God glory. What Ecclesiastes does is it balances our understanding, our understanding of the Proverbs. Because when parents, we, when we read the Proverbs, this is what we think. Because X is true, then Y must necessarily follow. But not under the sun. We don't see the complexity of the programming language in Proverbs. We think if X, then Y, but this is no algebraic equation where the sides always balance. Because there are times when you raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and you do it as sinful parents, right? But then all of a sudden that child just does not turn out like you thought they would and you think, what have I done wrong? What would Solomon say? Well, you did everything wrong. But nothing that would lead to this. It's mist and vapor. It's life under the sun. And we say, well, wait a second. I don't like that order. It's too complex. And again, Solomon would say, welcome to the real world. Welcome to it. So how then are we to take comfort? Well, we take comfort clearly in the ultimacy of the decrees of God that God is in heaven. But just on a Monday afternoon, how do you take comfort? Well, we take pleasure in what toil supports, what comes of our toil. I asked my pet dad one time, why is parenting so hard? And this is what he said. It's not that hard. I'm like, you are crazy. He said, just love your kids and be normal with them. I said, well, whoops. I've messed up the second one. It's so simple at times. If control and dominion, if toil and wealth are points of leverage against God's creation, then our lives will lead to ultimate frustration. Rather, Solomon says the aim of it is this. There's really nothing better than to drink the wine that comes from the vineyard you planted yourself. Now, what did Noah do? He drank a little too much wine from the vineyard he planted himself. 
What are the things you delight in? Um, about a year ago, I lost my sense of smell. <laughs> but it used to be the smell of fresh cut grass. And that always reminded me. In Georgia, of the spring, in North Carolina, it's kind of the fall. We grew Bermuda down there. Y'all grow fescue up here. I say y'all. I'm a North Carolinian now. Homemade dessert your wife brings to you while you sit around the table with friends and children. A beautiful gift your husband saves up to buy for you. A new doll complete with more than just one outfit. You know what I'm talking about, girls? A Red Ryder BB gun. (laughs) A new bat, a new ball, a new glove, a new tool, a new grill, an old grill that you know exactly how to work. You know where the hot spots are. A favorite hat, conversation by the fire with the smoke rising. A glass of something that heats you up and cools you down all at once. The fog that comes down from the mountains. The love of a good woman, the strong arms of a hardworking man. I could go on and on and on. But these are good gifts. And I think oftentimes there is some sort of what we call pious reflex and we say, well, I'm going to enjoy that, but not too much. Solomon is saying, go for it. What I learned from Solomon in Ecclesiastes is, put up the Christmas lights. Just put them up. Well, let your wife put them up. (laughs) Let her go get the extra ones because we don't have enough to cover the bushes. Because it would look funny if only one side of the house is lit. Light them up. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? From whom? God. So when I see those Christmas lights, I don't think, oh, I love the materialism of the Western world in which we live. I think, they're just pretty. (laughs) And that's okay. And they're pretty because God has told me what's beautiful. And sometimes it's simple, sometimes it's complex. But Christians that can't smile, that can't rejoice, that can't laugh at the easy and the hard, at the yawning chasm of the future, you know what I'm talking about, teenagers, and the immediate pleasures close at hand have lost gospel perspective. This morning during Sunday school when we were discussing what it means to be a faithful kingdom citizen, I drew on an analogy of a dog who goes about her work retrieving, tongue-wagging, I guess if we were to have a mascot, it'd be Goose, right? That would be our mascot. Derek said, we need to be Christian retrievers. I love that. Maybe we should get shirts made. What Solomon is teaching is be a Christian receiver. Receive the gifts of God for the reason that he has given them. Let me explain again, and I'm closing soon. I'm sorry. I'm just really enjoying this part of this book. When I was a kid, now there were just three of us kids in my home. Um, We adopted this rule that everyone in the home would get one other person a gift. So nobody ever got more than four gifts, which was great. Because it translated or it moved Christmas from a day of getting to a day of giving. There was no spending limits or rules. It was just, you're responsible for finding four gifts. 
And I remember the first time that really clicked in my mind, and I spent a lot of work. And I didn't spend a lot of money, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And you know what happened? That Christmas was the greatest Christmas of my whole life up until that point. Because four times that morning, someone opened a gift for me, and I got to celebrate with them their gifts. And it was a better feeling than celebrating the gifts they got from me. And you know why that is the case? Because we're made in the image of God. Not because Darwin says survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest says what? Take all the gifts. Leave none. But the point of Solomon's wanderings and observations and testings is to show us that it is in the simple life of receiving the good gifts of God that we have pleasure. But then there is something else attached to it, and I want to close with that. For to the one who pleases him, that is God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. Now, what that means is this. You may not have a vacation home in that area in Italy, you know, where the mountains come down to the sea. And I look at that place and I think, I want to go there. I don't know who owns that home right there on the coast, but one day I own that home. That's my home. (laughs) Because one day all the things that those who do not even know why they work are working will give them to those who do know. Solomon is saying that those who squander their labor for satisfaction on earth will have to give those things to those who seek satisfaction in Christ Jesus. One day we will inherit the earth. But for now, enjoy the simple things. Receive the work, receive the play, receive with faith the gift of God, drink deeply, eat unto satisfaction, and receive what God has given you. Over and over again in the wisdom books, it says this, better is a little with peace than a lot with conflict. Better to be poor in a dinner of herbs where there is love than to eat meat and there to be hatred. What better way to delight in the work that you have done than to celebrate, to feast, and also festival with the saints? It will be ours together, after all. Receive these good gifts from the Lord. Open your hearth and home to the stranger, to the dear friend. Give to your neighbor. Be willing to receive as well. It's easy to take eggs. It's harder to receive the honey they bring over. Well, you don't need no, take it. Let them serve you. You serve them. Take the gifts for what they are. Rejoice in what comes from God's hand. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we ask that.